So, Lord, I come before in Jesus' name. Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Help me, Lord, not to get in your way, not to mess things up. Help us all to trash what we think we know. We're all so arrogant and presumptuous. We argue as if we're experts on you and your ways. Lord, we do this, even people that are bleeding out and they're they're not even making it. We all just think we're so right. Lord, we just want to come humbly. Feed us today. Show us new things. Open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your law. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. We want to move forward with you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, <clears throat> how many of you guys are aware of what is happening in Wilmore, Kentucky right now? How many of you guys? Let me see your hands. Higher, higher, higher. Okay. There might be something historic going on. Uh, in 1970, they called it the Asbury Revival, but there, I think that was the 12th one that they'd had since 1906. But they shut the place down because they said, Duncan Campbell um, is another guy who, who knew how to partner with the Holy Spirit in seasons of revival. Um, I think he defined revival as an awareness of the presence of God. It's just, you know, these things are true, but they're just not really, we're not seeing it with clarity. But then there comes times where people in mass see Jesus as king. The devil is real. Eternity is real. People are going to heaven or people are going to hell. And we have the message and I'm not living a holy life and I need to consecrate myself and I don't have any power and I need power. And the greatest thing we can do in this life is spend it for Jesus. And uh, historically, they would call this revival. And now we have, you know, you put 12 pastors in a room, you get 15 different de definitions of what revival is. But it used to be pretty clear what it was. It was God showed up, made everyone aware of the things that are really important. There's a fresh consecration to God. There's actually several things that God's trying to accomplish when he shows up. But uh, <clears throat> last, not last Wednesday, the week before, uh, started hearing rumors that it's happening again. 50 years, 53 years. Well, technically 52 in some months, but... <clears throat> God's moving again in Asbury. The lines there are now a half a mile long. You can only fit 1,700 people in the chapel. So I don't know if the lines are longer. I don't know. These things tend to flare up, and oftentimes they blow over. I don't think that needs to happen. Just like some of you guys, the Holy Spirit flared up. And uh, for some people, it blew over. For some of you guys, you're still going strong one year, two year, three year, four year, five years later. And I think it's the same with these. If you know what God's up to and you've studied it, and you've studied the word, you know why he showed up. I don't know. It's kind of like if I come over to your house and I wanted to work on a project with you. Maybe I'm a musician. We're going to work on a piece. Maybe I'm a, a carpenter. We're going to work on your cabinets. Maybe I'm going to help you with your landscaping. And I show up and you want to watch movies. I'm like, dude, I don't have time to watch movies. All right? So it, it, the Holy Spirit shows up. He's got some things that he wants to accomplish. 
If people are not attuned to that, he moves on. So when I heard about this, God had been doing some very unique things in my heart prior to hearing this. Then I shared with you guys on Sunday about revival. I've been studying it for 30 years. I've seen the Holy Spirit do some amazing things. And there's testimonies in this room like a lot of people have never met a person. And we have, we have newcomers here. We have testimonies in this room of, huh, would the meth addicts please stand up? Come on. There you go. Okay. Delivered. All right. Would those who are, I don't know, I don't want to be uncomfortable here. Those who have been through sexual trauma, sexual abuse as a child, would you please stand up? Okay. Right. Those who are demonized, please stand up. And you know it. You voices in your head. Crazy. Nuthouse. Okay. Let me stand up with you here. Me. Okay, so sit down. We, we have God is doing uh, miracles. So I've seen the Holy Spirit, seen him move in Russia, seen him move in Africa, seen him move in Bangladesh, seen him move in prisons, seen him move on the streets with street kids. And then last Sunday, we had a pretty sweet little move of the Spirit right here in this room. Talked about revival. But I said, what's God up to? Why does he come? Do you know why he comes? Are you going to just... I think revivals are going to start breaking out all over the place. And God's people are just going to, a lot of them, they're going to go, oh, isn't this great? And they're going to go stand, oh, holy ghost fire. Oh, this is so great. Oh, and then, sure, prophecies happen and healings happen and people get saved. And sometimes, you know, weird stuff happens. All the way back to Jonathan Edwards. He wrote a Distinguishing Marks of the Work of the Spirit of God. These big, he was like a scientist, Jonathan Edwards, and he'd scrutinize these things and analyze these things. He goes, signs and visions, and that's no sign that it was God or it wasn't God, and he's trying to scrutinize this. How do you know if it was God? Well, his basic conclusion was the long-term results. Is this Christ-likeness come out of the lives of the people? So uh, anyway, we talked about that. I talked about why God shows up, because he's showing up. So um, our church is just awesome and it's not because we're awesome it's because jesus is awesome and we get out of his way as dumb as we all are as clumsy as we all are as blind as we all are we get out of his way enough for him to get some stuff done amen all you who don't see things very clearly you're not the greatest intercessors you're not the greatest evangelist you don't have a whole lot figured out raise your hand all right that's my hand raised because i don't but it but still cool stuff is happening so uh anyway I've been studying revival. I've been wanting to see the Holy Spirit move. I see him move regularly, several times a week, usually. <laughs> I could just do this stand-up all day long. I forgot the alcoholics, but, uh, you know, or whatever. Uh, but, I mean, oh, how about this one? Uh, anxiety and depression. Who was delivered from that? So stand up. Delivered! Like meds in the trash. Okay, yeah, that's, I was, Lulu, I mean, I was, yeah, so we've seen some stuff, but so I've been studying this, but I've never seen the Holy Spirit come and rest, and that's what I've been wanting for my whole life. I want him to rest, and just not blow on down the road, just rest, and I said, if that's what's going on, I want to get there, 
So last Sunday after church, Jason and I were like, let's make this happen. Let's just, I just got a new car. This is funny. I got a new car. I always get a new used car because I can't afford a new new car. Got a new used car. And it's funny. Uh, you're always checking the mileage. I put 1,600 miles in that car in two days. So anyway, the value plummeted. But praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that I, that I had a new car to get there and back. So we went there. And um, now I'm glad we went when we did, because there's sometimes they're not even letting people over 25 in, because it's really for young people. They started it, and that's what everybody where everybody believes God's moving. You who are over 25, you're like, oh man. Well, that's why there's stories in the Old Testament about Joshua and Caleb. I'm going in with you guys, man. Forget about it. I don't care what the church does. I'm going in with you guys. I don't care what the broader church does. In the Jesus movement, all the all the established churches didn't want those hippies. Chuck Smith said, you know, heck with what the broader church is doing. People were complaining in his church that the hippies were coming in bare feet and they're messing up their carpet. You know what Chuck Smith did? He tore it out. Uh, I, I'll solve this carpet problem. Let's just have concrete floors and you don't have to mope and complain and act like the biggest thing on God's agenda is not getting the carpets dirty in the church. Come on. So anyway, I want to go in with you guys. So that, that's why, uh, that's why um, we have Joshua and Caleb in the Bible. Ten spies, you know, 12 spies. I always remember the song when I was a little kid. Yeah, you're singing it. I got an old schooler back there singing it. And we're bad and two, we're good, right? Um, they got to go in. They got to lead the charge. <laughs> that would be sweet. They got to lead the charge. Okay, I got to tell you something. I went to the revival. How should I approach this? The first thing was I realized water is water. I know how to get water. I tap into that water several times a week. I experience nothing at that revival that I don't experience with you guys, usually several times a week. Last night we had uh, we had 35 people that were willing to pray. We didn't worship for the first hour, then pray and worship. Nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, one o'clock. To two o'clock. Um, the presence of God that you experienced last night, the tears you experienced last night, the love and the fellowship, the joy you guys experienced. Gosh. <laughs> when you look at the faces of the people of this church that God has delivered and is delivering, it's the exact same stuff. I was like, I don't need this. I'm glad these people are getting it, and I'm glad the Holy Spirit's resting here, but I got this at home. I think people are flocking there because there are a lot of churches that have never touched it. And, and the people are dying. The thing that that's revival, one of, the, one of the most powerful lessons that it spoke to me was there is a hunger and a thirst for reality. The reality of Jesus and the options available to us right now aren't meeting the need. 
And I don't want to, I mean, I, I think people are still preaching the gospel. The death, some people. I mean, I think a lot of people are preaching half a gospel. Jesus is Savior, but not Jesus as Lord. That one doesn't work. But there's still people preaching the gospel. But then what we build on that, you know, like Paul said, there's one foundation, then how you build on that is going to be tested by fire. What we've been building on that for the last hundred years, it has led to a wasteland spiritually, even among the born again. And, and what I saw was a bunch of born again people like, <laughs> like crawling across the desert. And once they found there was a place that had the living water, it's crazy. I hope you guys go online. And I don't, I don't know when it's going to end, this one. Because the first night I went, and I've studied revival, and again, the comparison to a person's life is really helpful. Some of you in here, you don't need revival. You're already vived. That just means you have life. You're already vived. You're, you're not dead. You're not, you know, is there a pulse? I don't know. Let's just like you're laying on the, you know, in the ICU and they're every, all the doctors and nurses. Is there a pulse? Oh my goodness. You know, shock them, shock them. Oh, there it comes. Boop. Boop. <laughs> you know, no, I mean, there's some of you in here, you're perfectly healthy. And if you go there, you're just going to be like, I already been there, done that, saw the movie, I'm living it. The intensity sometimes is pretty awesome, but the intensity here this morning, I mean, some of you guys were lost in the presence of God. And and I know that God can ramp it up, you know, like I said, we have real life here. On a scale of one to ten, we're a solid two. Right? And and so maybe if you go there. At times here, you'll experience a five or a six, or maybe you go there and you'll experience a seven. Maybe you'll go to a conference. Maybe you'll go. It's all the same stuff. It's water. It's life. It's So the first night I was there, I, I was really grieved. I was like, do they know what they got? Because I've studied. It's it's. Some people are like, we don't know why it shows up. We don't know why it blows away. It's a mystery, and God is sovereign. And I'm like, you've never studied revival, have you? You've never really been used by the Holy Spirit to see the power of God come into a situation. Because, you know, it's like, I don't know how apple pies show up. They just show up and then they disappear. And I don't know. It's just a miracle. It's a miracle of God. You know, and you're like, you never made an apple pie, have you? There's a process to this apple pie thing. And you can make another one if you want to. So that's what a lot of pastors are saying. We don't know why it showed up. We don't know why it blows over. And if there's patterns during the scripture, that's why I want you guys to study 1700 to 1910. Born again, Bible-believing people used to know how to bring it. And they used to know how to sustain it. And they used to know what God was up to. And God used to take over whole countries. And there are pastors and professors in Bible colleges who don't know anything about that period of time. And I went to the pinnacle Again, I say the pinnacle Harvard-Oxford school of Bible-believing Christianity, which is Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, we've had more top-notch Bible-believing world-class scholars go through that place in the last 50 years than any other school. Some people say, what about Fuller? I'm, my, my money's on Trinity. 
But I went there to study uh, at the PhD level. And PhD scholars, some of the most notable the theologians in the world, one of them really gentle, spirited, loving guys. Some of them aren't. Some of them are jerks. Some of them are nice. But one of them in particular, I mean, he's, you look up online, top 50 theologians, living theologians in the world. He's, he's right there. Didn't know anything about this era. Historians don't know anything about the, the way evangelicals used to do things back in the day, the way they used to pray, the way, the, their understanding of how the Holy Spirit works. And again, there's tens of thousands of books for anybody who's interested. That's why we do seminars. That's why I teach you guys this stuff. And I tap you into open library and archive.org because now you can read all the books. I'm not making this up, but it's almost like there's a landfill and they buried all these books in the church for the last hundred years or so. Like dig those books up and be convinced by these people that used to know how to cooperate with God when he would come. So anyway, the first night there were some people doing some stuff and I was like, they don't know what they got and they don't know what they ought to be doing. I mean, you have to sustain these things with prayer. So while you got people in the other room, you know, basking in the glory and be amazed in God's presence, you got to have some people on their knees saying, God, keep this thing pure, keep this thing burning. Um, I was like, do they got that going on? Have they started some kind of a prayer initiative to keep this thing going? You also got to fuel it with truth. You got to have strong Christ-centered preaching because God wants to purge his people and then God wants to fuel his people up. And then you have to have an eye towards mission. We talked about that last week. God's not coming just, you know, so you can get a spiritual suntan. You know, he's not coming just so you can bask in the glory and talk about it 20 years. Now. He's coming because he's going to light us up. So he wants to take over. And this, there, it's almost like there's a science to it. I, I, I got to tell you this. I think probably the best voice in the world that's on a large, has a large audience right now on this issue is a guy named Michael Brown. He's a Pentecostal. I'm not a Pentecostal. And someone was telling me the other day, everybody, because he's Pentecostal, they think, oh, he's like Kenneth Copeland or, you know, whatever. No, the dude's a scholar. He's a, he's a historian. He's a biblical scholar. He's He's brilliant. He's a social commentator, but he's studied revival. He's been used in revival. I sent you guys out kind of an analysis where he says, well, how do we, how do we uh, break these things down and find out if they're really of the Lord or not? Well, anyway, there's very few people that have, have done that. But I just want to tell you, his voice is not on par with everybody else's voice. He is head and shoulders way above the other people because he doesn't just know about it. God's used him several times to see it happen. But there is, there, God is up to something. You have to do it right. If you don't participate with him, 20 years from now, you'll be looking back saying, wow, that was crazy. When the Lord came to Manhattan and there were worship times in the park and people getting saved on the streets. And wonder why that happened. I don't know. God's sovereign. He just shows up and whatever. And then he blows away. And we'll know someday in the sweet by and by. It's like, no, we can. Because some people have grabbed a hold of this. They've studied it. They've studied the word. They've studied history. 
um, and they've walked very carefully with God. The Moravians, 100 years of unbroken prayer, first uh, evangelical, our, our Protestant missions thrust to the lowest and the least. It's like they, it's almost like they unearthed the secret recipe. Then they handed it off to the Methodists who preached the gospel to John Wesley, the Moravians, Peter Bowler, who taught him how to pray, who, who taught John Wesley to expect a move of the Holy Spirit. Where was he when the Holy Spirit showed up at what? Four in the morning on New Year's Day, 1738. He's in a room full of Moravians. Then they go out in the open fields and they preach, and he and Whitfield, 10, 20, 30, 50,000 people coming under the power of God. Um, so then the Moravians, they had the recipe. They passed it on to the Methodists. They, they learned how to carry the fire, cultivate the fire, spread the fire. So I think, and again, I'm not prophetic. I'm not, I don't see much. God sometimes gives me a nudge, but I'm, I would never say I have any kind of gift in the prophetic realm. Some people get excited because I'm excited. And someone said, do you think you're a seer? I'm like, no way. I'm not even close. I said, God makes me study the Bible and just evaluate facts through the word of God. That's, and I said, that's a higher form of discernment. And that discerns all these other more, uh, I don't know, spooky spiritual things. It's, it's the word of God is what is, is the highest form of discernment that evaluates everything. And God forced me to do that. So uh, anyway, as I was thinking about all this, the first night I was, I almost went out and wept. I said, Lord, what's an analogy for what's going on here? He said, the lottery. It's usually when people win the lottery, it's all joy and amazing and all their debts are paid suddenly and hallelujah. And I mean, keep the spiritual out of it. I mean, this is an analogy. Um, they don't even have to know the Lord. They just think all their problems are solved. But usually if you study the lives of people in the lottery, in about five years, they're worse off than they ever were before they won. Because they don't have a clue what they should do with the blessing that just came into their hands. And I think that's what happens to a lot of us when we're touched by the Holy Spirit. That's what happens in revivals when people are touched by the Holy Spirit. What is God up to? How do we participate with Him? How does this momentum turn into a mission? What makes the Holy Spirit want to abide? with a group of people. So, uh, I think a lot of you guys would love to have the Holy Spirit show up in power. And when he does, you're going to go, oh, I know him. Yeah, I actually had a great time with him this morning, but, whoa, this is intense, right? And I'm glad he's hitting a thousand people in Manhattan instead of just my little, you know, powwow of folks. But it's not going to be some strange thing. Even though some of you guys have never touched God, and that's why you're miserable. And uh, it's kind of funny because I have a problem with being distracted. I hope you don't bother and mind that. But the, these things also um, draw kooks. These revivals draw kooks. That's another reason why you have to know the word. They draw nut jobs, crazies, but like you know, like trash draws flies. They just all the kooks come. And so Jason was, I was inside because when it started, you could just go in and out pretty much. Now you can't get in. But he said, hey, I'm outside talking to some guy. And you come out and talk if you want to. So I came out and I talked to him. Jason had been talking to him for about 15 minutes. And Jason's young and he's learning stuff. And the only way you can get over being young is 
stick around. I mean, so he's a young guy. He's a great guy. He's awesome for his age. He's, he's wonderful, but there's a lot of stuff he doesn't know. So I started talking to this guy in about two minutes. The conversation blew up and I said, Jason, this guy's a demoniac. He's crazy. He is here to upset things. Um, and it was actually through the conversation. It was almost like, hey, this guy might be a prime candidate for our discipleship program. Um, but then he had Jason's phone number. And I almost texted Jason. I'm like, Jason, send me the best text you have since that talk received from him. I'm going to hell. He's a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Jason needs to leave our church and follow him. And he's going to become a, what, philosopher king. Um, dude's a Lulu. So anyway, one of the things he said was, I, my, I am unique. My pain is unique. My suffering is unique. And of course, now his walk with God is unique. And I said, yeah, you're very special in your brokenness. I said, just like everybody else. And he went off. He, no, he, he didn't. He didn't want to hear that. No, he's special in his brokenness. No, it, Jesus is the thing. Don't tell me your pain is special. You're any, we're all very, very special and unique. But the solution is the same for all of us. So uh, anyway, that was a total rabbit trail. So now I'm going to come back in. And so what I was um, thinking about for you guys, I keep, I keep getting this analogy of tending your fire, tending your fire, tending your fire. And so the first night I said, if they don't know how to tend their fire, it's going to blow over. I'm watching the worship team. And I'm like, do these people spend at least an hour a day with the Lord? Do these kids? Very gifted, beautiful voices. Amazing. Do they spend at least an hour a day with the Lord? Are they in accountability groups who know their Achilles heel and they're in their face every week? Don't want to look at anybody. How are you doing with the porn thing? You staying away from that? How are you doing with that self-image thing? Are you staying away from the eating craziness? Do you need some prayer? You need some more accountability structures around you? How are you doing with the laziness thing, right? How are you doing in your marriage that you used to come to church and fake it and act like everything was perfect and you guys were about ready to wring each other's neck every single day? How's that going? You, you have a group of people, they know that stuff. Are you in the word? Are you in prayer? Are you walking in holiness? Are you starting to reach out? How can we pray for you every week? So I'm saying, do you guys know how to keep this thing going? So then the, I went, long story short, the next day I went back I almost went home. I almost, I almost went outside and wept. Next day, I went back, and there's a gray-haired guy up there, and he'd studied revival. And he starts saying, do you know how to keep this thing going? And I was like, oh, hallelujah. There's some wisdom here. I don't know if he's going to have, I, mean, he's, I don't know if his voice is going to prevail in all the voices of the leadership. But one of the things he said basically was, like, CD for you who are new here, they're called core discipleship groups. And you basically run through a series of questions. Mine meets at uh, Redina's Bakehouse on Friday morning. We run through a series of questions. Um, make sure I'm walking in holiness. Make sure I'm in the word. Make sure I'm doing what I need to do. Giving at least you know four other people in the church my main prayer concern for the day. It's just a way to stay alive. It takes us an hour. That's exactly what this guy got up and said. You want to keep this going? Find a little group. Ask strategic questions. He said, this is what John Wesley did. They called them bands. I was like, hallelujah, there's a guy that knows something about tending the fire. I sure hope these kids listen. I sure hope these pastors listen. 
Everybody who gets touched by the revival is going to, not everybody, but a lot of people are going to think they're an expert because they got touched. And I think the reality is probably 99% of them are still about as ignorant as a stone. And that may sound, maybe it's 98%. So maybe I have my fractions off here. But um, the church does not know about moves of the Holy Spirit. If the premier theologians and trainers at the premier seminaries don't know about this era of history, what are the chances that you know, the average Joe and Jane in the pew are going to know. It's something we've lost. So I wrote that book, Lost Keys to the Christian Life. So I want to talk to you guys about tending your fire. Some of you guys don't need revival. You don't need to go to Kentucky. Your fire is blazing hot. If anybody comes around, you know how to dip into your stove and toss them a chunk. You, you know how to feed. You know how to feed the fire. You know how to tend the fire. Do you know how to tend your fire? I just run from conference to conference and church to church. Hope that the fire comes for some reason. You don't have a clue why it comes, why it goes, what God's up to, but it's awfully nice. We need that. We need it. My favorite probably thing in our house, besides my dog, is, um, well, Susan's a person. She doesn't count. Yeah, I would I'd burn it all down and keep her for sure. But um. I love my stove. I love my my wood stove. Love it, love it, love it. I love everything, almost everything. I love almost everything about keeping a wood stove. I love taking trees down. I love splitting them up. Um, I love starting the fire. Not so much starting it, keeping it going. I love the effect of the fire. If it's not going, it just doesn't feel as homey. If that thing is blazing, it's right in our front porch area. You, you open the door and that thing is blazing. That whole room is warm and you just, oh, I'm home. Uh, you know, it, it, and there's a ton of benefits to fire. And it used to be before there's electricity, you didn't have fire. You know, good chance you're going to die. You know, sub-zero temperature. You need fire. We need fire. If you don't have spiritual fire in your life, you are you're dead. You don't even know it. You need fire. You're created for fire. And in the Bible, God's presence is often talked about as a fire. All through the Bible. I, and the more I think about it, the more the presence of God is a fire, it's a fire, it's a fire, fire. So this, this idea of you keeping your spiritual fires going, when revival's here, when revival's not here, um, is, is a really apt, I think, analogy. It gives you life, it, it, so many benefits and blessings. From, from having that going in your life. But um, the more I thought about my stove, I thought, I've been doing it for years, and it's I tend it almost second nature. I don't even have to think about it. And I think those of us who've walked with the Holy Spirit for a long time, we tend that fire. We don't even think about it. But in the church, it's a lost art. Uh -huh. i got to be really gentle when I do this. Usually when I leave the house, the fire, the, the stove goes out in our house because that's my baby and there's so much to it there's really a lot to it man where do i start but i've been doing it so long it's really second nature for me you got to have wood but any of you guys ever tried to start a fire like in your fire you have an apartment you have a fireplace and so you go get some big logs and you put it on there and you put a match under it 
like nothing's happening, right? Because there's an art to it. There's a skill to it. I mean, it has to be the right wood. It has to be the right size. It has to be at different stages of the fire. You'll want different types of wood, but you don't want pine is the best for getting it going, but you don't want to burn a bunch of pine because then you'll clog up your, you could have a house fire, burn the whole thing down. You can get creosote all up in your chimney. There's a ton to it. Seriously. And it's the same with tending the, the spiritual presence of God in your life. Do you know how to do it? I, a lot of times I'll wake up at two or three in the morning. Oh man, I better go downstairs. Because if I don't catch it now, if I catch it right now and I tend it, it'll be burning nice and hot when I wake up, whatever. If I don't, I'm going to have trouble. It's going to be tr hard to get it going again. There's an analogy there. How many of you guys wake up early in the morning? We did a sermon about this a few weeks ago. Jesus, early in the morning, while it was still dark, he went out from his place of comfort, his house. He went to his special place of prayer. What's he doing? Tending his fire. He, you know, it's like the psalmist speaks to his soul. I don't want to get up. Get up, soul. Get out of bed. You know, and the psalmist, you know, bless the Lord, oh my soul. You know, so we got to learn to command ourselves. And if we can't do it, we got to get other people in the mix. You got to get up early to tend that fire. And that's like your time of prayer. Then you got to know how to feed that fire. Uh, I don't want to like drop too many names, but I have a wonderful, for the last, few, last several years, uh, firewood source. <laughs> Great firewood source. Actually, a guy who has a tree company because he took what I did as a young man and blew it up a hundred times beyond what I did. And for a long time, there's always like, hey, can I get a bunch of wood? Yeah, come get a bunch of wood. I had a source. So I had a big stack in my backyard. Anytime I needed to feed it, I could feed it. Well, he stopped doing that. So then I'd have to go to Menards every week and pay six bucks for a little bundle. I'm like, I've never had to pay for wood in my life. This is crazy. And that adds up really quick. Do you have a big storehouse of fuel? What's the fuel? The word of God. Tim was saying he, he could answer his kids' questions just like that, and he had something to give his kid because he's starting to store up that wood pile, right? He's tended his fire. Gosh. I don't want to, like, blow the whistle on anybody, but at this revival, somebody said, turn to the book of Philippians, and I was watching somebody go, You know, like past it. I'm like, there's a lot. Probably most Christians in the church can't even tell you the books of the Bible in order. I mean, that's like a mechanic that doesn't even know the parts of a car. It's it's worse than that. It's a can a mechanic that doesn't really know the difference between a car and a truck and a you know a riding lawnmower. I'm like, come on, people. These are like the broadest categories. We got to know. Not just the books. We got to know what they say, and we got to be able to quote them like the Son of God. That's us having fuel for that fire. So you wake up in the morning to pray. Hey, what do I got to do here? You're also socking it away. You're memorizing it. You're feeding your fire. Something else I got to do with that stove. 
I got to clean it. That's the that's the one part of the process I don't like. Two things I got to clean. I got to clean the filter or the thing bogs up. And that has to happen pretty regularly. And I also got to clean the stovepipe. And that is a real pain in the tookers because I got to go up the ladder, deep roof. I could fall off. I got to take this big, long brush that if you touch the thing, you're going to get, you're going to bleed. And it, I mean, you got to take the part of the chimney off and scrape it out. And then it all falls down. Then you take part off in, in the house. You take it out to the yard. And you're, it's just a pain. That doesn't have to happen very often. But if you don't clean your chimney out, you can burn your house down. Wow, man, I thought having a fireplace would be really romantic. I went over to Tad's house and I thought that'd be great. There's a, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to tending your spiritual fire. And I thought, well, what's the analogy for the cleaning the chimney out? Repentance. And sometimes we need those big times where we take the whole apparatus apart and the big chunks come out. And that's like the chimney or the stovepipe. But then pretty regularly, you got to take out that little filter. Basically, for you technicians, it double burns the smoke so it doesn't pollute so much. But if it clogs, smoke can't get through and it puts out the fire and it's just a pain. There's the so usually these moves of God start with repentance, deep repentance. I'm in a pastor's prayer group, and I don't think there's many guys in the group that have studied revival. It's just a fact. They might not like me saying this, but I'm like, all right, let's talk about it. I mean, let's talk about 1858 revival and 1905 revival. Let's talk about the 1903 revival in Australia under R.A. Torrey. Let's talk about the eight, you know, the 1950 revival under Duncan Campbell and the Hebrides Island office. God, let's talk about it. Okay. If every, you know, I just, it's not something we study in seminary anymore. And I hear this. We don't know why it comes. We don't know why it goes, but it'd sure be great if God would show up. Well, you can know why it comes and why it goes. But when God comes, one of the first things he's up to is he's got to clean up his kids. He's got to clean up his kids. And there has to be that purging repentance. And I remember praying in the pastor's prayer group. And I'm, I, it's frustrating for me. I'm like, God, we know why you're not here. Because there's people fornicating in our churches. And we know it. Born again people. They're committing sexual immorality. And we won't discipline them like your word says. There's people harboring bitterness in their heart. We know who they are. I remember talking to a pastor years ago, and he's talking about this cantankerous woman in her church just full of bitterness, causing all kinds of problems. I said, you need to tighten the screws on her, bro. You need to confront her. One, just someone in you know private. Then you need to confront her with somebody else. And then if she doesn't respond to that, you need to, third time, it needs to go before the church, and you need to get her out. That, that just doesn't sound very loving to me. That's because you don't read your Bible. Jesus commands us to do this. Paul does it. Jesus commands us in Matthew 18 to do it. One of the reasons this church is so peaceful, we don't fight. Impossible. No, it is possible. We don't fight. And sometimes in a leadership meeting, we sit there and say, could anyone create a problem, please? Because there just aren't any. Our problems are with the super broken people trying to figure out how to manage them, but they don't have their hand on the wheel. They don't have any influence in the church, so it's not really going to hurt everybody else. Um, so we got to do that purging. 
and that makes a way for the fire to burn. If if and when fire comes to Manhattan, Kansas, it is going to start with deep purging repentance. And it's going to go all the way up to the leaders of the church, the deacons, the elders, the pastors. And there's going to be dark, heinous, ugly, jaw-dropping sin that's going to come out. And if that doesn't happen, and people are just jumping around, shouting, dancing, enjoying the, God, the Holy Spirit's like, I'm out of here. We've got to clean out that stovepipe. That is number one, because if we don't, the house is going to burn down. And then, and some of you guys have gone through that. Some of you guys can say, look, like the psalmist does this again and again. We can do this. We can go to God in prayer. I'm not saying we can be perfect on this side of heaven, but you can do this. You can go before God and you can say, God, I am unaware of any rebellion in my heart. I am unaware of anything that I know for sure you've asked me to do that I'm just saying no to. There's no, And you can tell the psalmist does this. And God, you know that what I'm saying is true. There may be some stuff I'm not sure about, but you know I have an open hand. You can, As long as you speak clear to me. Um, so I don't have to get all afraid that if I'm not doing anything perfect, I, I can't move. But God, I apologize to my wife. Lord, I reached out to that person. I gave the money you wanted me to give. I repented of this thing. I made amends where you wanted me to make amends. I'm getting up at five in the morning. I'm praying. And if I didn't, I apologize. And my plan is to get up tomorrow. You know, I'm surrendered. So that's you cleaning out your filter, you know? So first of all, I clean out the stovepipe. There's those of you guys who are sitting in here. And those, those are the ones that are having fun. And some of you guys want revival, but you've never done that. You've never cleaned out your stovepipe, and you're not doing your regular filter cleaning, and you're wondering why, you know, the embers are like. So, you gotta have your own supply, internalize the word. You gotta have your time with the Lord. You gotta be walking in holiness. There's a lot to it. You also have to have understanding. Again, there's so many analogies. What type of wood works when? And there's people actually that know about stoves way better than I do. I had a friend and he's talking to me about the BTUs that certain wood types give out. And I'm like, dude, I'm just, I just know that there's some hardwoods and when they dry, they're good. And this guy's like, well, I'm, you know, so even with revival and stuff, there's even more you can, you can always be learning, but uh, I can keep that sucker going all winter long and it's fun and it's delightful. It's wonderful. And I know how to keep my spiritual life burning. So when I go to a revival, I'm like, I know what this is. And I was talking to a friend the other day. Tell me about the revival. I'm like, dude, you don't need to go. You understand how it works. And I also have enough going on in my fire that when somebody comes along and they're like, dude, I don't have any fire. I'm like, hey, man, I'm just going to open up my stove. You, you want some? I know how to give it away. Yeah, even that. Do you know how to give it away? So you don't. Yeah, I'll give it away. Ah! Right? Reach in your stove and grab it with your hand. That didn't work. Well, you know, there's some tools that, you know, we can make this happen. So that's my challenge. I think God is moving. It went from Asbury, it went to Lee, it went to Samford, it went to where else? It's jumping, Cedarville. Jumping around. I heard from a bunch of churches had something happen like we did last week. Whole bunch of churches had like a unique touch from God happen in their service. God's moving. He wants to show up. Do you know what he's up to? Do you know why he's coming? 
Last week we talked about ultimately why he's coming. Some of you weren't here, so I see some new faces. He's he's here to he's here to make you great. I can't believe you said that. No, great from his perspective. Great like Jesus was great. Condescending from being God and getting down in the muck to rescue and save. Not great in the world's eyes. Great in God's eyes. He's given you the baton to fulfill his mission, lay down your life so that others can find life. That's, that's why he's coming. He didn't come so we, again so we get a glory tan. Or we can talk about why God mysteriously showed up 20 years. He's coming, and he wants us to participate with him. It's kind of crazy because I had all these fire scriptures. I didn't use any of them. I was going to start with Elijah. Like, he didn't use the Bible. How could God have used that sermon? Um, well, God can speak through Balaam's donkey. I guess God can talk through what I just said. You want some scripture? Uh, how about Elijah? Uh, I love that passage, 1 Kings 18. He's, he's dual heaven and hell battle between the 450 prophets of Baal. He, he cries out, God, answer me, answer me. Let it be known this day that there's a God in Israel and that I am your servant. And he said, the fire fell. Everybody fell on their face and turned to God. Fire is often, it's kind of funny. We have two symbols for the Holy Spirit. One is fire, one is water. So you only need to take, you take analogies as far as they need to go. They help us understand. Don't push them too far. Uh, John the Baptist in Matthew 3 and Luke 3, he said, after me, one is coming, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. Which is a very good thing if you're on God's team, and you got it in your stove, and it's working for your blessing and benefit. It's a very bad thing if you're a rebel. Hebrews says it's a terrifying thing. To, our God is a consuming fire. Terrifying things to fall, fall into the hands of the living God. You don't want to be on the judgment side of that fire. You want to be on the blessing side of that fire. So, John the Baptist, you're going to be baptized with fire. Uh, Jesus said, wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls. What, what happens? Tongues of fire over their head. Fire, fire, fire everywhere. The, the Holy Spirit's often referred to as fire all through the Bible. Um, Paul tells Timothy, Kindle afresh the gift that is in you through the laying on of my hands. There was a time when Bible-believing Christians like us, whether you're Presbyterian or Methodist or whatever you were, you would have said, oh, that was probably when someone laid hands on me and I had a hair-raising, jaw-dropping encounter with the Holy Spirit. You're like, oh, that's Pentecostal. No, that, was, that used to be normal in the church. We lost it. We lost the fact that the Holy Spirit does a lot more than just make you into a nice guy or gal. He will light you up. So he said, Timothy, you were touched by the Holy Spirit, and now you're kind of flatlining. He's like, stoke that thing up. Stoke that reality of the fire of God in you up. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, don't quench. Quench. Don't quench the Spirit. There's things we can do in the church, like throwing a wet blanket on the fire. I was thinking of uh, also in Ephesians. So don't grieve the spirit. That's not exactly the fire analogy, but it's just talking about the, the how 
how, what's the word I'm looking for? Intricate, how specific, how delicate the process of walking with the spirit is and keeping that going. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist, but um, there is a wisdom to it. There's people who've done it really well. Do you know how to do it? Or are you going to be a part of the sad bunch that dances around the bonfire while it's there and then it goes out and nobody knows why, nobody knew how to fuel it, nobody knew how to keep it going, nobody nobody knew why God showed up and then uh, a couple decades down the road, you say, oh, that was just so meaningful, you know, teardrop, oh, so special. Wasn't really sure what God was doing there, what the long-term effect was. Or are we going to be like the Moravians and the Methodists and and, you know, even go deeper and deeper into our understanding about how to tend that fire. I'm learning all about BTUs and, you know, which, what's the absolute best firewood. And, you know, so, uh, see what else I got here. Put a bunch of stuff in my journal this morning, too, about this. I've just been just sitting in front of my fire thinking about all that it takes. And if you don't know, stop acting like you do. There's people who listen to this online. <laughs> if the Holy Spirit hasn't done much in your life in the past 10, 20 years, you don't know. So stop pretending you do. You might have a theology degree. Uh, theologians, honestly, are some of the most, sometimes some of the most pathetic people spiritually. It's kind of interesting. I was, I just love analogies. And God does too, because the Bible's full of analogies allegories, analogies, parables. He loves taking one thing and using it to explain another. Oh, it's just, it's all, I was, I never thought of this before. It's almost like God's favorite thing to do. It's one of his favorite ways to teach. I'm going to take this and I'm going to talk about this so I can teach you about this. Theology and theologians and even some of you guys, young guys, I'm not going to look at you. When you study theology, it's a little bit like people that want to go and understand the physics of fire. And so they learn everything but how to tend their stove. And their stove has gone cold. And yet they think they're experts because they can talk to you about whatever. Fire is a pretty mysterious thing. But they, they study it and they scrutinize it and they and usually theologians I think are wrong anyway. They're they're talking about things God didn't invite them to study. And then they're anathematizing the church and battling with each other. They don't realize their stove has gone out because the things we need to know. I was talking to my friend Alex over here last night about, he said, maybe when I'm older, I'll understand this stuff. And I said, Alex, you're actually in a place of advantage right now because all the good stuff, your age is perfect for getting it. You don't need a PhD to understand the good stuff, the stuff that works. You don't need a PhD to understand repentance. You don't need a PhD to understand you're guilty. You don't need a PhD to understand God loves you. You don't need a PhD to understand that God became a man and died in your place so you wouldn't have to. You don't need a PhD to understand that his Holy Spirit will fill your heart and give you new life. And It's all simple, you know? Remember that movie, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Easy, easy stuff. And Jesus said, the wise and intelligent are going to fly over it. Unless you come as a child, you're not getting in. This is not rocket science. And if you guys want to get in on the action, God's already spoken to you through what I said. 
you know what you're doing wrong. You know if your stovepipe is is not cleaned out. You know if you're not getting up ten in your fire. Another thing is, is that fire, tending that fire has got to be the number one thing in your life. If you have to quit your job, you have to move across country, you got to drop out of school, tending that fire, you got nothing else going on that's remotely close. How important that is. So seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, learn how to do it. That's why we do seminars, why we study. So I don't know. I guess that's all I got to say. I'm not the greatest at altar calls or any things, whatever. But I, I know God's spoken to you guys, and I know there's things you need to do. So uh, I think once again, we end a little bit early. So uh, maybe just in uh, closing, it would be really nice if the Holy Spirit would show up and we want to go on and on and on like last week, but I'm not going to manipulate that. or I didn't make that happen last week, and you know I'm not going to try to force anything this week, but we could end with a song. And I would encourage you. Anybody in here feel like God, you got some stuff you need to work out with the Lord? Anybody? Three people? Five people? Thirteen and a half people? Okay. Seriously, I want to see. Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. Put them up. Put them up. Let other people see. Got some stuff you need to work good. So let's uh, let's worship and tell God you're going to get it straight. If you need to talk to somebody, some of you have a mentor, some of you have a CD group. You want to get it straight? Tell somebody what God said to you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do to get it right? What are you going to do to get it straight? Let them pray for you. Let them help you. So that when that fire comes, it's not going to blow over. It's going to rest. It's going to abide. We're going to cooperate with the Spirit of God. So you got a good song for us, Sam? Okay, I'll pray, and then we'll worship. And Father, we come before in Jesus' name. I forgot to tell him that prayer of the Salvation Army and William Booth. God of Elijah, hear our cry. Send the fire, send the fire, send the fire. Make us fit to live or die. Send the fire, send the fire, send the fire. I forget how it goes. Look down upon this waiting host. Send the promised Holy Ghost. We need another Pentecost. Send the fire, send the fire, send the fire. Make our weak hearts strong and brave. Send the fire, send the fire, send the fire. No, can't remember it. Something about to live a dying world to save. God, we just pray you send that fire. Help us to give everything for it. And uh, I pray that our generation would see the next great awakening. And we'd go out and die in the battlefield for your glory. And thank you that ultimately that fire is your love. It's not some harsh, cruel, difficult thing, Lord. It's, it's everything we've been longing for. Your presence is what we need. I pray for anybody in here who's not born again that this would be their day. And stop holding up, stop making excuses, stop believing lies, and they'd run into your arms. We love you. We thank you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.